My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So we aspire to be like the Begins. We want to lift women up. We are about empowering women through owning businesses, getting them started through cottage industries, learning to make their kitchen and their workspace sacred and protected, and re-empowering them to say, it is my ancient right to make medicine for my family and my kitchen from the herbs in my garden. If you've wanted yet feared to do work that is weird, this is the show you just need to hear. I'm going to take this one back to the Occupy movement, October 2011. It involves protests, sort of goes unsaid, but it also involves something I love, pizza. You see, when Congress approved pizza as a vegetable for school lunch programs, that's when my guest today, Sister Kate, decided if pizza was a vegetable, then she was a nut. And since her days in the Occupy movement, she now answers to a higher calling. Sister Kate sells cannabis-based products for her company, Sisters of the Valley. And she's grown the company into a million-dollar global business. And Sister Kate and I also talk about her farm, where she lives and works with her fellow weed nuns. I'm your host, Sam Balter, and this is Weird Work. Now let's listen to them speak about their jobs which are quite unique weird work you are a sister should i get ready to start feeling guilty and confessing some of my sins to you no actually no we're not those kind of nuns this is what we always say we are not insulted by swear words we are not insulted by people self-medicating with their tobacco products We are insulted by Citizens United. We are insulted by the Patriot Act. And the other nuns should have been more insulted by legitimized pedophilia than by people dropping an F-bomb here and there. So I'd love to know, like, when was the first time you dressed up like a nun? In uh, October of 2011, when I went to the first Occupy event. And why did you dress up like a nun for that? Because Michelle Obama had just talked to Congress about how unhealthy our children's meals were and Congress filibustered and then uh, reunited a week later on taxpayer dollar to declare pizza a vegetable so that the pizza could count as a vegetable instead of junk food. And it was too much for me. When 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 the U.S. Congress declared pizza a vegetable, I declared myself a nun. And you have to understand that at the time I felt like a nun. I was delivering cannabis legally through a collective to sick and dying people and their Medi-Cal didn't pay for it. And I found my calling during that period of time when I was 
basically ministering to a group of about 200 or 250 people that I ministered to. And it made me feel like a real nun anyway. So have you always been like uh, a community organizer, an activist? Oh, no, no, no. I was a horrible person in the business world. I was consulting for telecom, internet, energy companies, and I was helping you know, they're fat, white, old men get wealthier. So th- that is my sin. But that period that I spent in the corporate world uh, taught me an awful lot. Uh, and and I learned how to be bold and and approach a business for the women. So I've taken all of those lessons and now I've, I'm putting to a higher purpose. Do you personally subscribe to a religion? I have been pretty much practicing my own weird uh, Wiccan slash Jewish slash Christian uh, sort of uh, spiritual belief since I was about seven years old. I mean, when by the time I was seven years old and had had two years in Catholic school with the nuns, I knew that the nuns were serious women who got work done and the men were a bunch of playboys. I mean, you didn't have to be a genius to see that. So, but I did even I did send my children to a Catholic school and church in the Netherlands. I was put on an assignment in Europe in uh, 1998 when my children were like four and three and one. And I went over to Europe for a decade and had my kids in the schools. But a Catholic church in, in, in the Netherlands is so much different than a Catholic church in Kentucky. And so, for example, the, the Catholic church and school that my kids were in was very enlightened. Um, and they always did Catholicism light where when I brought him back to America and we landed in Kentucky, it was like this horrifying return to the 1950s. What brought you back to the States? I'd, an ugly divorce. My uh, husband had raided the business and helped himself to all the funds. And oh. uh, the average length of a divorce going through your uh, sort of embassy in another country is like three decades. And it, so it was really to come home and bury the marriage. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that's that's terrible. Sorry to hear that. Oh, I'm I, I'm still litigating for the money. I've gotten half of it back. <laughs> I expect to get more. <laughs> okay. So you come, you come back from Europe and... Fast forward a while, now you have, you know, you have a business where you're producing hemp-based products. How did you get to that point? Like, what did you do? What moved you towards starting that business? Well, the return to America was horrifying and upsetting because in the decade that I was gone, America became a whole different country. I was going through the Mojave Desert and and I was so excited to find a Native American town to stop in. And the first thing I saw was a Costco. And so what I'm saying is my country was despicable to me and unrecognizable to me. And I didn't want to be here. And so that that stewed and festered for a couple of years. And when the Occupy movement um, happened, uh, I was so excited. I was so excited because somebody else was annoyed about what had happened in America. And I felt I found my real family. And then when I put on the the sister which was originally a costume, uh, a Marian nun Catholic uh, nun costume. When I put that on and went to the Occupy movement, they welcomed me and dubbed me as their sister Occupy. And um, I started writing a series of articles that were published by the Fresno Alliance about our activism and shutting down the ports to settle a dock worker strike and striking because the buses were shut down for the poor farm kids and, and those kind of things, the good fight. And the Fresno Alliance always carried it. So I thought that was like my 15 minutes of fame. I was very happy with that. But what happened is over the next three years while I was out, 
people were asking me to formalize this. And Mm -hmm. it was hysterical to me because I'm like, you don't get it. I'm a lone activist anarchist sister and I'm trying to make a statement. And they said, you don't get it. We want to join you. If you formalize (laughs) this, we would join you. So the pressure to create something got overwhelming at some point. And then I didn't want to create a religion because in my opinion, religions pick the pockets of the poor in order to make their own 1% rich. So there was like a three-year debate along with a study to find out that, oh, the average age of a Catholic nun, the average age is 80 years old. They have about 30,000 left when 30 years ago, there were 350,000 in this country. They are going extinct. Then you ask the question, where are the priests? The priests aren't allowed to play with the public because the insurance companies are calling the shots. So all of this came together to say to me, I'm an analyst. I've always been an analyst that, oh my goodness, some, we need a new spiritual order that abandons all contemporary religious practices and starts over with ancient wisdom, ancient tribal wisdom. So that's what we're doing. So where did you get the idea for all of these hemp-based cannabis products? Oh, uh, YouTube. Seriously. I mean, that <laughs> really? basically, I, yes, basically, <laughs> I, while I, <laughs> I'm sorry, while I was <laughs> delivering cannabis yeah. to people who had severe neurological disorders or were one step away from death, I was so scared that somebody was going to torch themselves in bed trying to smoke cannabis with a pipe. So while I was doing that, I started developing tinctures and teas, alternate ways to get the medicine, right? But then after three or four years, I realized I was going to always be poor and that what I really needed to do. And when I say always be poor, it was because after three years of running the business, uh, we were only making about 70,000 a year because we were dealing with dying and sick people whose Medi-Cal didn't pay for their cannabis. And once you get dying and sick people on your radar, you don't just forget about them. So we were pretty much giving away as much as we were selling. So this wasn't, this wasn't a high profit marijuana business. No, no, there was you no weren't way. Like a no kingpin. way. So <laughs> I decided that what I wanted to do was to make some products that I could ship around the world to bring outside money to the Central Valley. That's the only way to to solve the poverty here. So I started experimenting with cannabis plants that won't get you high. This high CBD, basically hemp, but I call it medical hemp because it's not industrial hemp. It's medical hemp. It's grown just like cannabis that you smoke to get high and it looks the same and smells the same, but it's really hemp because it won't get anybody high. And I started, I went on YouTube and I listened to like five doctors tell me how to make a cannabis salve. And then the top ingredients between all of the five doctors who gave their little spiel became my ingredients, except with my plant, my CBD. I already had developed some tinctures, drops, and teas that were quite popular with people who knew me around here. So I I, I had some experience with it, but seriously, we now sell about $40,000 a month of just the topical salve. And people laugh at me when they say, how did you get your recipe? And I say, from YouTube, because that's (laughs) the truth. So just for a little bit more clarification for listeners, what is kind of the difference between CBD marijuana plants and kind of your regular run-of-the-mill marijuana plants? Well, um, your it's the there's two compounds in the cannabis plant that are popular and have been identified. I say that because every there's a I understand from scientists there's 121 other compounds we just don't know about them healing compounds. But the two popular ones is THC that's what gets you high and CBD which is the aspirin like pain relieving and curative part of the plant. 
what's happened is over the last 20 years, breeders have been able to breed together high CBD with high CBD. Just like everybody talks about how they don't smoke California weed because it's super weed. They've been breeding the THC high. Well, guess what? That works the other way. You can breed the THC low. And that's what we work with. So you're growing basically primarily all this CBD stuff, no THC or very, very low THC. But I mean, just for you personally, do you smoke regular THC marijuana? We always grow a little bit of THC and we because we make our own THC tinctures for the sisters and okay. our own THC tea. So we are proponents of the whole plant medicine. We think there should be a one-to-one balance between THC and CBD the way Mother Goddess gave it to us. We ship all around the world. So we ship to Russia and we ship to um, Korea and the Middle East. And I mean, we ship everywhere. So, so because of that, we have to make sure that every batch is tested, that it's under 0.3% THC in order for it to be considered internationally hemp. And that's what we do. That's the area we play in. Our first year, we sold $60,000 worth of product. Our second year, we sold $750,000 worth of product. Our third year, we sold $1.1 million worth of product. Damn. So we're on a growth path. THC is a local sale to a local market. I don't think in my lifetime, in my grandchildren's lifetime, we will see THC traveling borders. People tell me I'm wrong, but I just don't think we will. I think it'll be highly regulated Mm -hmm. and the medicine won't travel. But CBD-only medicines are more and more able to travel the planet. I just love that the sisters also have kind of this private head stash to the side, though, of THC weed in addition to all the CBD (laughs) stuff. here's the thing. we take visitors from all around the world. We have people come. We've had people come from Nigeria and from Iceland and from Denmark and Germany uh, visiting our farm. And when people come to uh, visit a weed farm from around the world, they expect you to have something that'll get you high. And we learned that fast. <laughs> so you guys are just trying to be good host. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> so, okay. So like, Describe this farm for me. Like, what does it? What does it look like? Where is it located? Okay, so we're about uh, we're about twenty minutes from the town of Merced. We're very paranoid about our address being out, so anybody who comes here has to sign a release that they will turn off their tracking devices and will never release our address. Even the media has to do that. Huh. Um, and uh, it's because we rent three other addresses where people show up all the time. Um, I tell you what, we're only afraid of the Westboro Baptists. That's the only people oh, we're really afraid of. So you're like worried and, they're um, going to show up on your property someday? Yes, or some nutbag who thinks he's defending the Catholic nuns, who, by the way, the Catholic nuns who are active and working and younger, they love us. We have quite a following among them. And so, but some people are very, and we have a following of monks too. And and we get regular requests for them from both groups for money which is interesting. But um, the point is no one's mad at us. No, For being weed nuns, no one in the Catholic church that we have ever met is angry at us. But there's a whole bunch of people who don't practice Catholicism that are angry on their behalf. That's the kind of world we're in today. So what? how many people are living on this farm? It, that number changes all the time because we are patterned after our ancient Beguin mothers. And that's spelled B-E-G-U-I-N-E. And they were in the Middle Ages, the first nurses in the castles. And they grew hemp and farmed outside the castle walls. But they always had 
apartments or buildings inside the castle walls where they tended the public. And their history has been largely lost because they couldn't survive the Inquisition because these were women-run operations and they believed in women owning property and they attracted their excellence in the products that they made attracted wealthy women as hmm. well as poor women. So we aspire to be like the Beguines. We want to lift women up. We are about empowering women through owning businesses, getting them started through cottage industries, learning to make their kitchen and their workspace sacred and protected, and re-empowering them to say, it is my ancient right to make medicine for my family and my kitchen from the herbs in my garden. So the number changes at the farm because at any one time, a sister could be planning to get her own place hmm. because we encourage that. So instead of living on top of each other or in a, a convent style, we live close to each other. And we're always looking for real estate so we can put more sisters close by us. But right now we have a one acre farm with two houses and um, we, ha we have a yurt being built for an ex-Catholic nun that just joined us. Oh, so, so at this very moment, there's four of us living here. And there's two others that come to the farm every day to work. So on any given day, there's six of us, four to six of us here. But then we also have two sisters in Toronto starting an order there. We have a oh. sister in Sacramento. We have a brother in England. And we have two, uh, we have a sister in uh, North Island, New Zealand. So they are all people who've been here and spent enough time with us, came back and forth and spent enough time with us that they took their vows in some form. And now they're acting like missionaries to help us grow our operation in those parts of the world for now. So you mentioned it casually, vows. What kind of vows do you have to take to be a sister? Okay, so that is a vow of ecology that you year after year reduce your footprint. A vow of organizing your life by moon cycles. We do that to be in touch with our ancient mothers and also to keep Mother Earth at the front of everything we do. Um, a vow of living simply. Um, no ostentatious wealth, um, but we don't believe with the just distribution of the earth's resources, anybody needs to take a vow of poverty. Um, a vow of chastity. There are six definitions of chastity. We don't define chastity uh, based on being celibate or not. We define chastity as sort of a code of behavior. Um, and we privatize our sexuality. So no sister will ever talk about that. And no one will ever know looking at our pictures whose kids are whose or what, because that's part of our vow of chastity is just privatizing our sexuality. So like, what are some of the, the ceremonies that take place in the process of creating some of these products? We feel that we need to respect a plant that has been disrespected so much for a hundred years. It's like a pendulum swing. We don't work with the medicine without our heads covered ever. Um, because that is a sign of disrespect to the plant and the medicine. We don't move medicine without saging and praying over it ever. The things we've always done is we don't start making medicines without blessing of the kitchen. We don't uh, let the medicines go out the door without a blessing of the packages before they go out the door. We have the blessing of the tools. We have special holy soap that we use that has frankincense, myrrh, and cannabis oil in it to wash our hands before we make our medicine. We have ceremonies when we finish a batch. We have ceremonies when we start a batch. We have ceremony last night for the new moon, which was a fire circle and a meditation. I always say new moons are for the, the women and full moons are for the tribe. Every full moon, that's 12 times a year, we have a feast and a party and a spiritual ceremony by the fire. Can I ask what's potentially a stupid question? No, there are no stupid questions when you're dealing with weed nuns. <laughs> what? What's the focus on the moon cycles? 
It really doesn't mean anything more than the fact that we are connecting to our ancient mothers who in the year 400, 500, 600, 700, in the castles of the Middle Ages, were the nurses. And they didn't have clocks. They didn't have time. So we believe they would have made their medicines a tincture. When we set a tincture and you set it by a new moon and then you have to turn it every day for two weeks, it comes out by the full moon. That's sort of there. Everything kind of moves in like that flow when you're making homemade medicines. Yeah. And so we believe our ancient mothers would have. But right from the beginning, I knew I wanted to do it by moon cycles for two reasons. To connect us as a meditation to our ancient mothers. Hmm. But also, it's about the planet. Anything about the planet has to be the forefront of our consciousness. Because I often think about it as like we've moved into this time where we totally ignore the natural cycles in terms of business and production and things like that. And it seems like you're making a really conscious effort to return to kind of a, a time before we destroyed the planet. Our ancient mothers possibly prayed that the spring will come sooner, which is ridiculous. We wouldn't waste any effort praying for spring to come sooner. So do we throw away all their practices in the light of science or should we be bringing our consciousness back to Mother Earth? And that is indeed what we are trying to do. So I want to shift gears a little bit here. Jeff Sessions has opened up the door for kind of more aggressive prosecution uh, for marijuana offenses and for marijuana production. And I want to know, like, has that impacted your business and the Sisters of the Valley? Oh, we are such in a gray area. No one knows what the heck to do with us. We, (laughs) even though we pay our federal taxes and we pay our state taxes and we pay a ton of taxes and we're legal every which way from Sunday, we don't have a local conditional use permit that allows us to do this business on our farm, but they haven't rejected our application either. They just don't know how to give it to us because we're you know, they don't have any hemp industries here yet, really. Hmm. And we are considered hemp. We're just not industrial hemp. We're considered hemp because we won't get anybody high. So what I say about Jeff Sessions is, phew, he's an idiot. Um, he's a storm that has to be weathered. Uh, but good thing we're in the medical hemp business, ladies, because he's not going to bother us. So that's kind of our message to the universe is we're not getting anybody high. All your laws were for the part that gets people high. So go away. And so, um, but also we recognize uh, him and Trump and the whole Republican Congress and Republican Senate as a threat to everything about our lives. And so that has had us investing heavily in Canada and getting a footprint in Canada as mitigating the risk of America. (laughs) So you've actually started moving more of your business into Canada. Uh, We are, I would say we've invested about $40,000 in some strategic relationships to get our line of products approved by Health Canada uh, so that the door will be open for international work with Canada being our home base. Oh, so you guys might move to, are you going to move to Canada? That could happen. You know, that could happen with a Jeffy Sessions and a Trump that could (laughs) That could happen. I would rather it didn't, but that we are making that back door a choice. We'd rather do growth through partnerships. Here's what we believe about cannabis, that it's like honey and local is best. So we would like our salves and tinctures and products made in Germany by German plants, harvested by German men or women, and the medicines made by German women, and never leaving the border. See, we are against fossil fuels, so of course we don't want our medicines traveling any further than they should. 
So we've authorized people in certain parts of the world to find us farming partners or any partners that we can begin in your area, but we can do the whole thing over there. Could you give me a sense of like how much money are you guys making now? Our lowest paid job is $14 an hour and our highest paid job is $35 an hour. And first year, our sales was $5,000 a month as an average. Second year, our sales were $60,000 a month as an average. Third year, I think it was 80, 85,000. And now we're running at about the 80,000 a month rate. Okay. But the reason why we're not rolling in money is because we keep growing and we have to keep reinvesting in growth. So I mean, when we were selling on average 5,000 a month of product, I maybe had to spend 800 a month on materials and things. Now that we sell $80,000 a month, we're spending at least 20,000 on materials. And as we launch wholesale, in order to launch wholesale and supply stores, Every extra penny goes into, I mean, besides what we finance for Canada, every extra penny goes into bigger and bigger batches. So when we start to talk a little bit more about kind of the thing that you're spreading, a lot of what you've talked about is sort of empowering women. What are some of the things that you recommend or that you think people should be doing to help empower women? I think what happened with the feminist revolution and the industrial revolution is women started to look at kitchens scornfully. And I think women, I know, I know this was for me as a businesswoman, I, I never thought of my kitchen as a sacred creative ground. And, and so that's one thing I recommend is that women start taking their kitchens very seriously as a sacred uh, birthplace for ideas, uh, for healing potions, and for all kinds of things that contribute to healing, including art. So my advice to women is they take, and my advice to men and everybody is that just to support their women, because when the women are lifted up, all of society is lifted up and men shouldn't be afraid. They should be welcoming this. All the men around us are very encouraging. And I I don't think we set out for that. I just think that men are kind of tired of old paradigm as well. I look at a lot of the work you're doing as a form of kind of connection. Like it seems like you're doing a lot to connect women women through your work and product with sort of the rest of the world. And I'm just wondering, like, do you see yourself working in that way as well? Yes, I've always been an analyst and I've always connected dots for big corporations. I'm the one they called in when their money was leaking out of the system somewhere or, you know, they had too many people in too many call centers or whatever. If, they, if it was ugly and it was a mess, I got called in to shine a light and fix it. And and often I was paid to connect dots for them. Hey, you got this going on in, in Canada and you got this going down in US and you guys are doing this and this that's really stupid. So that was my job as an analyst to kind of zoom out and zoom down in. And so, um, yes, I think it's my, that's, that's who I am by my nature. And I prefer that to being called a healer or a spiritual leader because I feel like I didn't create anything here. I plugged into a current that's already happening. This huh. is happening. The ex-Catholic nun that just arrived here January 1st has been practicing new moon and full moon ceremonies with the natives since she left the Catholic convent 10 years ago. So what's that, what that means is that religion has run off the rails and it's fun times because so I would encourage all your viewers that now is the time to create your own spiritual practices. And then I would warn you that you're going to take a lot of pushback from your family and your friends. Because once they realize that you're trying to get in touch with your spirituality, that's frightening to people. I, you know, I've got all kinds of horror stories about my own family that will have nothing to do with me over this. 
was your family upset? Were your kids upset? You know, oh, like, are you kidding me? I have, <laughs> yes, my kids. Oh my God. If I showed up at a high school with my habit on, I just, my kids would just be on me forever about it. So I had to learn to do the quick change in the back of the parking lot before I picked up my kids up at school. My brother's very staunch, traditional Catholics barely speak to me, but here's the thing. So what? So what? And and that's what more people have to see. And those of us that are envisioning a new paradigm and willing to, you know, take the take the bruises and lumps that come along from being a leader to the new paradigm and realizing we don't have all the answers. We're just plugging into a new age energy and we're okay with seeing where it leads us because we know where the old stuff led us. And so we're increasingly divided. Also, I see that division as the, the people in the old paradigm need certainty more than the people who are leading in the new paradigm. So here we've got this clash going on. And and I my advice to people is say so what and walk away and follow your dream into the new paradigm. It's going to be well worth it. Hell yes. I love that sentiment. I mean, like for me, uh, I grew up with uh, my dad grew up kind of like Orthodox Jewish. Uh, and my mom grew up like staunch Catholic and neither side of the family liked the other side. You know what I mean? Like the Catholics hated yes. the Jews. The Jewish family was like yes. not happy about a Catholic wife. Like everything was bad. And you know what that tells me? Yeah. It was a family of people who needed certainty more than they needed love. And that is an old paradigm. We have to walk away from a paradigm where we need certainty more than we need love or compassion. Well, I'm I'm joining up on your tribe. Then I think that's a much better route to go. Personally, <laughs> I like I like your ideas well, so think- much better. It's family dinners would be a lot more fun. Exactly, and that's what we're seeing now. And that's I guess the way I have to look at it to understand it. Well, I think this has been this has been so much fun for me. It's been a blast talking to you. You are absolutely incredible. Like the work you've done is amazing. Well, thank you. Thank you. I've enjoyed this as well, too. You're very enlightened. New age. If you ever get a chance to visit our farm in California, you should come for a moon ceremony. They're stunning. People come from all over to join them. I'm invited. I can come out. Yes, 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 of course. Okay, I'll bring someone. The next time I come out to California, I'll bring someone and we'll try and come to the valley. Wonderful, wonderful. I would love that. Sister Kate is a boss. Seriously, she's incredible. We've been getting some pretty interesting guest ideas from listeners. And all I have to say is keep them coming. I can't wait to start talking to these people. If you like the show, if you love the show, if you only kind of like the show, be sure to subscribe in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're getting your podcast these days. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Weird Work. As always, I'm your host, Sam Balter, and stay weird, you beautiful unicorns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along, and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, 
Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 